This is Akafe. Laura Marie and Jessica Marie proudly present A Court of Fandoms and Exploration, a podcast. Fair warning, everything the hosts say is explicit, full of spoilers and adult content and shall not be used against them. They have opinions. Let's try not to drag anyone for expressing themselves and just have fun for an hour. We all deserve it. This episode does not contain spoilers, but does mention everything everywhere all at once, turning red and my so-called life. For a full list, please see show notes. There are also conversations surrounding racism, generational trauma, and fat phobia. Everybody and welcome to A Court of Fandoms and Exploration, your weekly deep dive into the YA literature and fandoms that we love. I'm Laura Marie. And I'm Jessica Marie. And today we are welcoming a very special guest and our new friend, Maureen Gu, whose newest release is Throwback. Welcome, Maureen. Welcome. Hi, guys. I am Maureen Gu, and it is so wonderful to be here. We are so excited to have you. We have so much to talk about. Just to start off, I want to let you know that I love this book. I have read this book twice. I have cried both times. And also, going through this was very special for a lot of reasons, which we'll get into. But I recently just finished a rewatch of My So-Called Life, and I... I am an Aries, so this was very, very special for me. And Jess, I know it was very special for you as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't think you want to see my copy of the arc that Zando had provided us because I was making notes and writing things, and it was just so relatable. I loved how it's just like this multi-generational, like there's a deep love, but there's confusion and frustration and cultural bounds. Like for me personally, my family came over from Cuba. So I'm first generation American. So like seeing the different dynamics with between the grandma and Priscilla and older Priscilla, younger Priscilla and Samantha and just the different dynamics between them at different points and in different decades is so you you do kind of see you're like oh i get it but it also sucks and samantha even says that she's like it's okay and it's okay for it's gonna suck like it was just everything it was just like up and here's you know a lot of trauma trauma relatability there in this one but in a good way in a growing kind of way oh i'm so glad yeah i mean that was kind of my big um hope for the book, right? To tell these stories of different generations of women in the, in the same family. And, um, especially, you know, this is specifically about, um, a Korean immigrant family and then the descendants from the immigrants. Um, but I really feel like it's kind of a universal story about intergenerational dynamics and traumas, obviously, which I feel like is a popular topic in popular culture right now. Um, and I don't think there's like, um, I don't think that's a coincidence. It's like a bunch of us are writing these stories now. And so we're in a place, especially women. And um, I think Asian American women are finally becoming storytellers. And so you have things like turning red and um, everything everywhere all at once. You know, Um, it's not a coincidence that we're finally trying to unpack all of this stuff through our stories. But um, thank you. I'm glad it resonated. Oh, it absolutely did. Do you feel that it's become... Like a like we're getting to that place where like a safe space that we can tell those stories without. I don't know. I I, I don't want to say backlash, but were you? Who do you feel like the character you were like more in this book? Were you like Sam, very outspoken in your beliefs, or was it more of the? Um, and I'm speaking from an oldest like an eldest daughter situation. I was very compliant, very complacent, mm-hmm. like yes, whatever you say, I'll internalize everything. And it's still stuff that you have to unpack as you get older. Yeah. So Priscilla is the the mom and she is a a first generation Korean American. So her, her parents were immigrants to LA from Korea. And then Sam is Priscilla's daughter, who is a Gen Z, like present day teenager. And she's second generation. So um, I felt like you know, obviously I'm much closer in age to Priscilla. And I, I say that like, 
Um, I kept the years just far away enough from me. So I'm like, I am not Priscilla's age. Um, that'll just like send me into a spiral, but I am pretty much Priscilla's age. Um, I just happen to have a toddler and not a, you know, a teenage daughter at the moment. Um, but if I'm being realistic, like I actually much more relate to Sam, um, not in her relationship with her mother. I had a very similar dynamic to Priscilla and her mom just because my mom is a Korean immigrant and all the issues that they have are pretty um, similar to the issues that I had. And a lot of people my age had with their um, parents, but as far as like worldview and confidence level, um, I was more like Sam. I wasn't as together and with it and obviously as evolved as Sam, because I was a nineties kid, sadly. Um, But I was always tougher than I was a fighter. I was, I spoke up a lot, but I also um, grew up with a lot of Korean American friends and my, the suburb that I grew in, which is in throwback, it's basically the same suburb. I just named it something different. Um, It's, it was very diverse by the time I went to high school, but like the little generation before me, the Gen X, cause I am like the elderly millennial or whatever, the oldest millennial, but Gen X, they had a different experience. You know, even in my um, community, it was a lot more uh, homogenous, a lot more like pressure to be assimilated. And by the time I went to high school, a lot of that was kind of like changing already for me, for our, our like particular demographic. So I didn't have a lot of the issues that Priscilla had. I had some, but as far as her, your relationship to her Korean American identity, I much more relate to Sam. Um, although like I didn't grow up in the time of K-pop and K-dramas being popular. I had friends that like, didn't think that was weird, you know? So that helped me kind of have confidence in that part of my identity. Um, but yeah, I'm, I am like a blend though, because I truly am Priscilla's generation. You know, I can't, can't deny that. <laughs> Something that you brought up is that we are all, I say we, the collective we, we are all of an age now where we are able to um, produce art and to really kind of exercise all of these feelings that we've had for a long time and put it out there. So um, as you said, all of this, this new, I also heard the term millennial rage. These projects Mm. are coming out to kind of deal with this. My question kind of is, when we look back on our childhoods, we do have the tendency to have rose-colored glasses. And I know like the 90s now, as in the book, are back in style very much so. Um, When I went back to to read this, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so accurate. This is the 90s. Uh, Everything is so wonderful. Uh, My rose-colored glasses were on, and then the casual racism comes out, and it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, yes, it was exactly like this. We cannot forget this. And that's very important. And I do feel that sometimes in projects when we are, uh, you know, looking back, that we kind of gloss over that. And I love that this was so much a part of this book. Obviously, it's a part of the entire plot. But it is important to be critical when we are reflecting. And I really enjoyed that here. Oh, thanks. Yeah. You know, it's a fine balance because obviously like the book is supposed to be fun. I mean, it is fun. I hope Um, it's like a lighthearted kind of like um, time travel story, but um, you cannot go back in time and ignore, you know, obviously it's not like the world is perfect now. Oh my gosh. Far from it. Um, But when you step back and you do a little time travel in your brain, you're like, oh, we have actually, um, evolve, thank goodness, with certain things, at least what we find acceptable to say in public. And um, I knew, obviously, going to this book, like, I'm going to have to talk about some casual racism, sexism, f- you know, fat phobic language, all this crap and ableism and everything. Um, definitely, I have to acknowledge that. But um, then I started writing the book and really kind of digging into my memories of the things kids would say. Or, you know, there's a racist teacher in the book that um, is very much based on a teacher that I had in high school. I do not care if she finds out because she's a bad person, um, unless maybe she's changed. Um, Hopefully you change, lady. (laughs) Um, But she, you know, when I was remembering and I was trying to recreate this character, I was like, actually, this was so messed up. And, you know, I I kind of look at it lightly. and, And I think when you're a teenager, you're really kind of tough. 
you're, you're tough and you also like pretend like you don't care about stuff. So, you know, I experienced me and my friends experienced a lot of crap and we all kind of brushed it off and we were like, Oh, whatever, like LOL racist teacher. Um, but then I think about it now and I'm like, that's actually really horrible and um, demeaning and how helpless we were to actually do or say anything about it or so we felt helpless. So, um, you know, it was kind of like unpacking all of that stuff was kind of much more intense than I anticipated. Cause you know, I give it a light touch in the book. I don't dwell too much on it. Cause it's not the point of the book. Um, the, the point of the book is not like, wasn't the past so unwoke and now we're woke. It's not, it's just like, there are differences and it, it shaped your mother. And this is what you have to understand where your mom's coming from. You did not grow up in the same world. And she can look at that with humor and also with like, she's horrified. You know, Sam is often like, what are you guys talking about? Like, you know, and the way her mom is always talking about her weight or like other people's weight, like we realized that was so normal for us. Um, So yeah, it was a trip to have to like go back and relive some of that stuff but it was also very cathartic you know to like kind of write it out and be like I love writing it from a point of view of someone who who knows better and is like this and they can just say like this is horrible so it's you know that was like nice to be able to acknowledge now and Jess I know that you absolutely love the time travel here mm-hmm. okay so we're both fans of time travel and sci-fi and fantasy and you do it so seamlessly in this book you like there were questions that i'd be like oh my gosh but now it's just it's all very trippy in a good way because of how well you explain it and there aren't really loopholes so it's like you like um oh we're trying to keep it spoiler free (laughs) (laughs) but i the way the lineage and you're wondering how is the past going to impact the present slash future and you do little things that you know anybody who's familiar with time traveling you're like you can't do huge impacts Mm -hmm. you can't because that can alter everything else in the future and that's one of the first questions she asks she's like what am i what am i doing back here what is the purpose is it supposed to prevent 9-11 is it supposed to prevent the pandemic like what is it that i am here to do and she doesn't do these drastic changes but there's one specifically where she helps Miss Joe and she's, and it was just this small little thing that's not going to impact the world, but to help the person who helped her in this time of uncertainty. Yeah. I love Mrs. Joe. Um, she's maybe one of my favorite, my, maybe my favorite character in the book. She, Mrs. Joe is an old lady um, for listeners who have not read the book, uh, who basically decides just out of the goodness of her heart to help this random teenager who is clearly lost um yeah the time travel things i'm so glad you like the time travel well one i am also a huge fan of time travel stories and i was you know i knew i would write one one day and so i'm really glad i did it in this form and it's obviously an homage to back to the future um one of my favorite movies of all time probably what started my love of time travel as a kid as a genre um but I also know my limitations as a contemporary YA novelist. Um, I am not a hardcore sci-fi person. I do appreciate really good sci-fi, but my brain is not wired to think of such imaginative slash fact-based things. Um, So I knew that if I have time travel, it's going to be a light touch. It's going to be like back to the future, but even more light touch because back to the future has like a flux capacitor and they go into like the timelines. And I was like, if I try to do that, I'm going to one mess it up or, and two, this book is going to become weird. So, um, I knew keep it simple, keep it in the tone of like those, the slew of like eighties and nineties movies that just had inexplicable magical twists, um, you know, like big, like freaky Friday. Um, so it's kind of like, or 13 going on 30 and 17 again, one of my favorite movies of all time, (laughs) Zac Efron's finest film. Um, (laughs) but it, I felt like, okay, I'm going to give it a light touch and, um, we're just going to like hand wave the time travel but I did make sure it made sense you know like I'm not going to do things that because you know readers are smart they're going to be like this makes no sense and 
you never want to write something that kind of stops people from like believing in the world. So I did have to be a little careful, but definitely like just a fun, fun time travel as opposed to like pretty like a complex or anything that really involves like physics. <laughs> no. And even, even at the end of the book, you're, you're, it's like everything is tied up in a great little bow. So you're just like, wait, how did this from earlier? And no, everything is so that's one of those things. Cause you can get so wrapped up into it yeah. um, so easily, especially when it comes to time travel. <laughs> yeah. I made, I made sure to set it up so that there's nothing that could be messed up because I'm like, keep it simple. <laughs> the simpler it is, like the less you can mess up at the end. So um, thank you. I'm glad that the ending was satisfying. <laughs> Now, you mentioned that you always knew that you were going to write a time travel story. Um, mm -hmm. Can you kind of take us through the idea process and and kind of how this story came to be? Sure. Um, so not only did I always want to write a time travel story, but I always wanted to write like a mother-daughter YA novel. Um, a couple of my YA novels have had really great father-daughter relationships, which are always beloved, I think, in stories. And especially in YA, people really love a cute father-daughter story. And I'm like, you know why? Because they're easy. <laughs> Those are like cute, right? Because dads are like, la, la, la. <clears throat> but a mother-daughter story, especially with teens, is like way more complicated, Um just by nature, it's a more complicated relationship. I speak very generally. Obviously, some people have great, easy relationships with their moms. And I'm like, who are you and what happened? But um, so throwback was a culmination of me. I'm like, I got to write this mother-daughter book. But I can't. It's not. It's going to be too angsty, right? Like, I don't want it to be too, like, oh, like, all in the feelings and, like, just, like, angry people. So it needs to be, you know, my number one goal with all of my books is, like, They've got to be fun. They've got to be a place you want to be and you want to like, you know, want to escape to. So time travel was an idea I had because of Back to the Future. I'm like, what if it, and I, for a long time, I called this book Back to the Future Asian Mom. Um, so, you know, it's just Back to the Future Asian Mom. And to me, that's like such a fun package, kind of an irresistible, like everybody knows what Back to the Future is. Um, so you kind of know what you're getting into, but just making it my own. Um, and so I thought of, I kind of just sat down with my husband one day because he's also a storyteller. He's a, he writes animated movies and I'm like, let's like bang out the story. I have an idea. And so we just like brainstormed and I kind of like knew exactly what it would be. You know, once I figured out mother, daughter, but the mom is first generation. It's not going to be an immigrant kid because I also did the math and I'm like, time has been passing and teenagers today, their parents are not my parents' generation, they are my age and a little older. So of course, there's going to be a second generation story to tell there, which is, you know, you, I feel like it hasn't been explored that much, like a Korean American second generation story. So I was really excited by the opportunity to tell it this way um, and to make her mom like super Americanized, like popular cheerleader, like that kind of girl. Cause I'm like, that is so, you haven't seen that, you know, um, rather than like some, you know, like some like sad, unpopular outcast Asian American kid. I'm like, I don't want to write that story. Those stories are important, but like, this is different. So um, yeah, once I figured out the mother daughter dynamic, the time travel device, it was like, it all fell into place. And I also knew there's gotta be a romance. Like there's no way in hell she's going to go time travel and not like find a cute boy <laughs> and make it like, so, you know, cause time travel, Time cross romance is one of my favorite genres are amazing because it's inherently like, will they, won't they? It's so tense because it's like, this is not meant to be like, you guys are in different times. How are you going to work this out? So that tension is like catnip for me. So I really liked writing that. And what I love is that even though you have it in there, it's also not a romance, you know, mm -hmm. it's because that's not the, you know, that's not the center point of all of this is her going back in time and figuring out what, who her real, I say, lack of a better word, love of her life is. And I say that in air quotes. Mm -hmm. She's just like, she's also growing as a person while going all, she's still, I guess, true to herself while being very 
aware of how she's wording certain things because even if she she's aware of 90s references she goes okay but what point in the 90s was that i i shouldn't i shouldn't bring up clueless did yeah, that come yeah, out yet you can't google it because she's like because <laughs> that's what kids do they don't remember stuff they're like i'm just gonna google when did clueless come out but it's like you don't or ask alexa it. you don't have google man um yeah i this is really a love story between her and her mom you know at the end of the day and so um it, it is, you know, to me, there's so many rom-com moments with Jamie because I can't help it. I have to include that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, it's the romance is like just part of the story. It's to like spice it up a little. <laughs> no, and it's it's so fun from the moment he because even their interactions, you, you can tell where they're just like, you know what? Maybe I was too hard. I mean, everybody is kind of on edge yeah. when you meet them mm-hmm. in their own individual world so when they're coming together they're all kind of bringing their own angst Mm -hmm. into their meet cutes with one another whether it's the romantic relationships or the platonic relationships everybody's already on edge for something else Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i love a meet cute where everyone's dealing with their own baggage (laughs) well and and you say baggage some of these and this is not a spoiler some of these fights between mothers and daughters um I've had these fights. These, mm-hmm. these fights are real. I, I have, I, I've said these words. I've said that I hate you. I've thrown mm-hmm. that out there. And, you know, that, that gross feeling that sits with you after. Uh, this was obviously, clearly, I have mommy issues. This was very cathartic. Who doesn't? <laughs> honestly, honestly, it really does seem that way. Um, you know, and my, my daddy issues came up very strong. Uh, my, uh, own background is very similar to Priscilla's, um, mm-hmm. father heard that situation. It's very similar to mine, even the time frame. So this was, oh gosh, this was very, very relatable to me, even mm-hmm. though I obviously cannot speak on the Korean American experience. My point to all of this is to say that you wrote these fights real life, I'm going to say beautifully, where where did this kind of come from? I cannot imagine that um, this was a fun section to write. Yeah. Um, I was just talking to someone the other day about the fight scene with her mom. Um, there's one, they have little squabbles, but there's one big fight that is the catalyst for the time trouble. And um Every time I wrote, first of all, that scene has not like from the very first draft has not changed very much. There's a few tweaks that I made, but um, it really kind of stayed because for me, uh, when I write really emotional stuff, it has to come from like this very like my first draft is usually what I keep because I have to like be so in it. And this was so um, difficult. I cried every time. I worked on it every time, right? I have read this book uh, probably now a hundred times, but the fight scene always gets me because like you, I have, and I had, I have and continue to have mommy issues. My mom and, ha- and I had intense fights when I was a teenager um, and it all, boil- you know, very different from these, the fights that Priscilla and Sam have, but all stemming from the same thing, which is this like impasse of like understanding each other. And, you know, the, in the, when you're a teen girl, like, and your mom is being mean to you, you know, or not getting you, it is like so hurtful, you know, nobody else could hurt me. Like my mom could hurt me. Um, and not that she intentionally hurt me. Like, I really don't think she meant to, I have a lot of empathy for my mom as like, a, especially now that I'm a mom, but not even aside from that, just like being an adult in the world and understanding the world and knowing what my mom went through when she was raising me and my sister. It's like a miracle that my mom did such a good job, in my opinion. But I didn't know that at the time. All I thought, all I knew when I was a teenager was this is so unfair. Mom doesn't get me. She's so effing mean. She's such a biatch. <laughs> you know, my diary was like, oh God, I hate my mom. Um, it just, I didn't get it. So, I mean, honestly, that's why I wrote this book. Cause it's like, what if you could have a shortcut to understanding your mom? Cause a lot of us don't get that empathy till we're older. And it's like, at that point, some of the damage has been done. Right. Um, and so 
those were lifted, like the feelings that Sam has of like, just the frustration, the injustice, the like, kind of like, um, the hurt that she has, that was all coming from such a real place for me. So even though their fight was about something completely different, like the raw emotions behind it, you know, I cried every time I had a fight with my mom. And what's really interesting is like, I could just the dynamic that my mom and I have, I could never apologize to her in person. That would just be uncomfortable and weird, but also like I would just cry anytime. And I would just get mad if I try to explain my feelings to her. So I often wrote her notes, um, like handwritten notes and I would just leave them for her to say, you know, I'm sorry. Uh, because it was just, that was the only way I could really communicate with her. And so it's interesting. She's going to read this book. She's coming to my book launch with her book club. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, enjoy everybody. (laughs) Does she know that it's based, you've pulled from a lot of scenarios and like personal experiences. Is she aware I don't think she knows that specifically. I don't, I don't even know if she knows. I left this book at her house this week. Like, oh, here, mom, mom you can have an early copy. She's like, oh, okay, cool. So I'm sure she's going to be like, oh, boy, mother, daughter. It's like she's going to know, but she's not. I remember this one. <laughs> yeah, she'll be like, oh, crap. But, you know, my first um, novel, uh, since you asked, was very, like, autobiographical, actually. It just, it was, like, my high school years and my family. And I literally stamped, like, like, photocopied my family as the family in the book. So my mom at that time knew. And she's like, oh, this is going to be, like, so much stuff from our family, right? And I'm like, yep. And she was cool with it. You know, to be honest, like, I really can't complain about my mom as an adult. Like, she's so supportive of me and... She knows I'm going to dig into our shit and put it out there. And I think she's like come to peace with that um, as long as it's not egregious, obviously. So I think she'll just, you know, I wrote in my acknowledgments for this book, like, you know, I'm so grateful to you for my mom. And I had to write an entire book to express it because I don't know how else to show it to you. Just like when I was a kid, I wrote her notes. Um we just cannot talk about feelings in person for better, for worse. You know, I, I used to think that was really messed up and dysfunctional, but now I very much accept it. It's just like, this is just, my mom didn't have the tools to do, to be this kind of mom. And I don't expect her to be that kind of mom. And it's okay if we have our own dynamic that is different from other relationships. Like I know that everything is rooted in love and caring about each other. You know, it's, I don't need, we don't need like a, family, like a full house, Danny Tanner, you know, DJ Tanner moment. It's just, that's just not our, how our reality is. Are the notes that you would write your mother, the inspiration for the voice memos in this book here? You know, I think in retrospect, I was like, oh, that reminds me of when I used to write notes for mom. But uh, no, this was mostly like a device. Nobody wants to hear it, but it was kind of like, how do I... One, we have to show signs of Sam having some kind of inkling of like an interest in something, right? Because the whole like Sam's character arc, and I'm not going to ruin it for everybody, but like um, she begins the book very much like, I don't know what to do with, you know, I'm going to graduate high school. It's okay that I don't know what I'm going to do. Why is everybody on me? Like giving me so much pressure to figure out my life. Who cares? I'm just somebody that's going to figure it out. And honestly, I actually think that's totally fine. Um, But... In her case, she's doing that as a protective measure because she's just pushing back against her parents. You know, it's not coming from a true place of being lost. It's a way to not try so that she doesn't fail her parents and have to deal with them. So the voice notes kind of, it's a way for her to like kind of express her feelings and it shows a bit of a talent for um, storytelling on her end. Like you're going to see like, oh, you you're funny and you, you know, you have like these insights when you do these notes to your grandma, but also as a way for her to like in the past, have a confidant when she tried time travels, because, you know, otherwise she's like just keeping all this stuff in her own head. So it's a good way for her to like say her feelings out loud to somebody. And that's her voice notes to her grandma. (laughs) Well, even in that relationship that she has with her grandmother, And to what you're saying with these voice notes and this creativity, it's almost like it seems, and correct me if I'm wrong, please, that self-preservation to keep her parents at bay. Because then when she's talking about the voice memos, when her, you know, she, Sam is having 
dinner with her grandmother one night and her mother pops over and she's like, oh, I didn't know you were going to be here. And they, the, the subject of the voice memo comes up and her mother was shocked. And, you know, she kind of says to herself, like, of course you wouldn't know about this. Like, this isn't something that would be of interest to you. But she also noted that she was like, there was a peak of interest for a moment. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, her mother eventually says she's like, well, but rather she gets that information than I than I hear about it. Right. It's kind of like a moment where Sam shows vulnerability of like, oh, does mom when mom finds out about the voice notes, is she interested? Would she want to hear them? And then Priscilla makes this like offhand comment like, oh, God, like, I hope it's not another like lecture on the history of bananas because like, she, you know, she likes stuff like that. And so it just immediately makes Sam feels small again, you know? Um, and, you know, I try to show like Priscilla's not a villain for being like that. You know, she, that's just not her interest. And she doesn't realize she's saying these things and hurting her daughter's feelings. She thinks Sam doesn't care, you know? So it's just, um, there's a lot of kind of misconceptions on both sides, which is usually what it is when people care about each other and have conflict. Oh, absolutely. I have a question about process again. Um, you were mentioning that when you were writing this, it was important to like get in headspace and everything. There are a few cuss words in this book, just, just <laughs> a few. Um, I am genuinely curious and interested for a, a YA author. You would, you would know, is there, uh, like a, like a cutoff? Like you're allowed to have so many curse words and, is, is there something that you have to work with, like booth, like guidelines? Um, there aren't any strict guidelines, I don't think, for anybody, any publishing house. <clears throat> but it's totally up to you and the editor and maybe your publisher, too, and how they position you. So, for example, yeah, this book had the most uh, curse words I've ever had in a book. I actually used the F word, like, a couple times. Mm-hmm. And my other books, none of them had the F word. I was, I was literally told, you cannot use the F word um, because... The audiences that we were writing for for those last four books were a little or not not specifically for younger audiences, but it was available for them and we thought it would appeal to them. So we also wanted to make sure they're more library friendly. And um, so, you know, for me. I naturally just use a lot of bad words. As a teenager, I used a lot of bad words. So like my first drafts always have a ton of bad words in them. And then in the editing process, it's like, okay, like let's calm down and delete them. And, you know, if I was really adamant, like I want this word, it, it actually is important to show character or this is what they would say, or this is authentic. I would fight for it. But almost always when the editor says like, do you need this? I'm like, you know what? You're right. I don't. But in this book, it's a new publisher. And it's for me, like trying to reach a broader audience, like older people, I think will read this. I just kind of felt like, um, let's like use, let's be a little more free with the bad words, um, in a way that feels authentic to the characters, especially in the nineties, you know, they would say all sorts of stuff in the nineties. So if I kept it super clean to me, it would just lose authenticity. But at the same time, my editor also helped help me pull back on this. She's like, okay, cool. In this instance, maybe they don't need to say mother effort. And I'm like, Perhaps. So, you know, I do always, because I am a potty mouth, I do have to always go back. But um, yeah, I don't think, I've never heard of anybody being told like, this is a rule. You cannot have bad words unless you write for middle grade or whatever. Obviously you can't. Um, But um, in most cases I feel I have freedom, but I'm always encouraged to dial back. That's very, that's very interesting. That is just for my personal knowledge. Uh, And you, you were the expert to ask that that is wonderful. (laughs) And you know, some authors like, like Rainbow Rowell, like your, their books have way more, you know, mature language and it just suits the tone of their book. So Mm -hmm. I think it, it's kept in there. But for me, my book, the tones of my books are not like super adult or dark. So if you, if I had a lot of bad words, it would feel kind of jarring. Oh, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. And speaking of the process, what made you choose to have this take place in the, I I say future loosely because we're recording this episode in 2023. This book takes place in 2025. So not far, you know, when you say the word 2025 out loud, it still feels so futuristic, but really it's only in a couple of years. I know. Um, That was purely for 
Um, actually, there's two reasons. One, so that we could have the past be 1995. Initially, it was 1993. And I know that sounds weird because it's just a two-year difference. But pop culturally, there's a big difference. And especially for me, it was me being um, a, you know, 12 years old versus uh, 14 and in high school. So I remember 1995 really well, all the music, all the fashion. Um, but 1993 was more of a blur and I had to do more research. And it wasn't that much. I just feel like it wasn't very 90s. You know, the things that we think of as 90s, it all came like after 1995. So I kind of felt like let's aim for 1995, in which case, We might have to bump up present day, but I also did that on purpose because I kind of didn't want to talk about the pandemic that much. Like, I think it, we should all, you know, whatever. I think you acknowledging the pandemic, we're going to have to do it. Um, It's like a reality. If any teen reads a book and it's like, you didn't go through a pandemic, what is this fantasy world? Um, But hopefully by 2025, the kids that are, that are seniors are not as, heavily like that's not the defining part of their high school year so I wanted Sam to have like kind of a normal high school experience and not have to dwell on the pandemic too much yeah well saying that out loud I know like we're just sitting in process you're like yeah "Yeah." because you like even the smallest thing where she was like oh go wash your hands get ready for dinner and she's like why why are you taking forever to wash your hands we're like, oh, weren't we all finding a new? It yeah. wound up being like finding a new song. So, like, washing your hands to get, you know, to make sure you did it for the right amount of time. Happy birthday. Oh my gosh. You know, so she has like little, I, I wanted to make sure, like, let's acknowledge that she is a pandemic teen. But, um, you know, if she had been a senior or like, you know, some of these kids, they spent three out of their four years in a pandemic. It's just that defines their whole experience. And I'm like, I can't go there. That's not this book. So let's acknowledge it. Move on. <laughs> yeah. She's going to acknowledge yeah. it. it. It is a fact of her life, but it, it didn't define her high school experience. Yeah. And also having it set in the future to me gave it a very hopeful tone just because mm-hmm. we're opening it up and everything is very diverse. Everything is quite literally, it's, it's lovely in my opinion, and it's not too far in the future. It's an attainable thing. We can mm-hmm. all get there. Um, it's, it's, it's right there for us. And I don't want to give the spoiler, of course. I know. I, know, <laughs> I, know, I don't want to give the spoiler. Um, it is a ve- it's very good. It's very good. But, but um, at the end, also as well, um, we are, again, a very hopeful ending mm-hmm. um, in, in, in all aspects. In, in the, the time travel is, is very well done, as we said. But also, Samantha has gone through a significant journey. I think you cannot travel back in time and not be completely fundamentally changed by it in every aspect. Mm-hmm. So to have her have that experience, come back, and then implement the lessons that she's internalized into her present-day life to make active change was wonderful. And again, a very hopeful way to end the book. Oh, thanks. I mean, I can't avoid writing hopeful books. <laughs> you know, like... um, even when the world is dark, which it was when I wrote this book, um, you know, at the end of the day, I really believe that things could be better. Oh, absolutely. And I think yeah. I think we have to to kind of really hold on to that. Yeah. Now, uh, Jess, I know I know we want to talk about the 90s a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you were doing your research for this, I mean, I wrote down some references. We have full ha- or uh, home improvement, Zachary Ty Bryant, uh, the J- JTT. I mean, we've got it all there. Um, obviously, very much uh, our childhood, and it, it is so fun to read these things. Um, Jessica and I were speaking earlier, and usually, pop culture references are kind of. Um, uh, a sticking point for some people. Some people really like them. Some people really don't. Obviously, here they are necessary and very needed to really mm-hmm. ground the story and, and really get you in it. Um, what was your favorite kind of um, point about writing about the 90s? Like, what did you love the most? Obviously, I loved the fashion. I Because you know what's funny is that the fashion is not, it's kind of all back. So at first, I'm like, Sam's not going to know she's in the past because 
they maybe everybody looks a little frumpier, you know, like I kind of feel like teens today, like know what looks good, right? Cause they have TikTok, they can do their hair and makeup. Back then we were just like lost, you know, um, trying our best and looking really bad for the most part. But, um, but the fashion is actually like just full on back to exactly the same. So, you know, she's wearing like a a windbreaker, a sweatshirt, vans, and jeans. Like that's not like Marty McFly going back to the fifties and wearing a, he's wearing a down vest and everyone's wearing poodle skirts. Like that's like a big fashion gap, but for better, for worse, like our fashion has not like changed into something completely different. Um, but it was still really fun. I looked through like old Delia's catalogs. I don't know if you remember Delia's. Oh my God. Yes. Yes. I was like, I dream of being a Delia girl. Um, and then I, just Googled like old teen magazine spreads and oh God, it was like such a, you think you remember the fashion and then you see it and you're like, Oh yeah. Flannel vest outfits. Um, and I also loved making a playlist. I, that was like the first thing I did was like make a playlist from 1995 and music is like the number one thing that helps me get into a headspace when I'm writing. So being able to do nineties music research was like, it's not even research. I was just like, uh, let me go Mariah Carey TLC. You know, like I just like knew it all. Like I knew cause that music never leaves you from when you're a teen. Um, and then, you know, I also had fun Googling, like what's the current events of 1995 in October. And I was like, Oh my God, the world was, and you know, Sam says that the world was always garbage. Like we think we're always living in the worst time, but every time has horrible things happening. Um, so that was kind of fun too. Initially when I did 1993, the big news story was the Lorena Bobbitt story. And I had so much fun writing Sam's reaction to that, but I've, you know, 1995, <laughs> I had to take it out. <laughs> oh. Oh. Yeah. There's definitely a sense of relatability when she goes, Oh, well, I guess it's always been like, it's always been crappy. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's just like, you know, and, it's, I don't want to be like, oh, and this is the world in which we live. She's, it was more of a, I'm not, I'm not going at this alone. We're all in this together. Yeah. It was comforting for me too, because I'm like, I do think we are kind of living in a tumult, more tumultuous than usual time. I'm not like discounting that, but, um, it's not like there was some perfect past and we've like veered so far from it. <laughs> Well, and that that's acknowledged through the techno, like the conversation surrounding technology and mm-hmm. social media, or really lack thereof, mm-hmm. because you also have Sam, you know, in the past thinking like, okay, this group would be considered the influencers, mm-hmm. and you know, how are we getting information out there when you don't have all the you, yeah. the internet doesn't exist, cell phones don't exist, you only have print and television, mm-hmm. and she's utilizing in the library. Mm-hmm. So she's utilizing what, um, what is available, what media outlets are available to her. Yeah, there is also, yeah. I, I want to make it clear too, that Sam is like, technology is rad. I will never take Google for granted again. Google maps. Like it does like really help, but, um, it does also force her to appreciate those things about her present day. And I, you know, but all at the same time, I, I feel like, there was a wonderful time when teens did not have social media. And I feel very badly that all of them from now on, like they'll never know a world where you can just not have things um, online about you and like live forever. I guess the big question would be, uh, was homecoming a big deal for you when you were in high school? It was a big deal at our high school. Like it was really fun. But like, I was never, um, you know, I didn't really care about having a date or any of that kind of, or being homecoming queen or princess, like, because at our high school, it wasn't like anybody, there wasn't like a popular crowd or anything. So it is a popularity contest, but like nobody really cared. It's not like if the, whoever won homecoming queen wasn't like, oh, the prettiest popular girl in school. It was just like, oh, okay. Yay. Everybody voted for her. Um, she had, she had her friends vote and that's nice. Um, it was just a fun event that we all got into. Like we got really into like spirit day stuff. Like, you know how they wear pajamas to school. Like we, everyone really did it. And we hated our rival high school and, um, the football game was always fun. Um, so I do have such fond feelings about homecoming because it's like the whole school could be a part of it. It's senior prom. It's just seniors. So it's like a little more, there's a whole other 
thing, but um, I thought I always loved homecoming because it was just like such a festive time in our school. So, and I wanted the book to, to be about homecoming rather than like prom queen. And I remember there was a logical reason for it. It might've been the time of year or something. Yeah. I didn't want to worry about college app, like decisions. Uh, yeah. Keep I, it in the fall. That you get stuck with when you write contemporary YA, you're like, <laughs> Wait, when do they have to do college apps? And when does she figure yeah. out which school she wants to go to? So yeah. And that conversation is there, but it's not like a driving force also. It's just part of the conversation because it is a natural part of the conversation of junior year, of senior year in high school too. She's on the college path automatically just because she's like upper middle class and her parents are literally a brain surgeon and a lawyer. So it's like, obviously they're going to be like, hey, you're going to college, ma'am. Um, but she's like, fine, I'll go, but I don't know what I'm going to do. And I think I'm normal. And she has a, she has like a chip on her shoulder about that because her parents are, and her, she has an older brother. That's like, they're so driven and they've all had like knew exactly what they wanted to do. And so she feels like a freak, but really that's, she's like pretty normal. You know, she says, I'm the the other one. one. And I'm like, yes, you are Sam, you are the normal one. Um, (laughs) but you know, that doesn't mean that she can't have an interest. You know, I think like she just closed herself off from having a passion because it was like a reaction against her parents. So I wanted to give her like an, a hint and an idea of like, maybe you, you do have an interest in something and it's okay to embrace that too. Yeah, And even that just because you have an interest in something doesn't mean it also has to be uh, something that drives like for, for career or for yeah. income. She's like, Oh, you know, that was it. She was like, it's people can have passions and not make it their whole personality too oh yeah she says to her mom like you don't have to mine everything for college apps you know so mean but like it's true like can i just enjoy something and not have it be like it'll look good on my college applications but you know that's the kind of person her mom is so (laughs) and i have to say that one of my favorite introductions in this story is the introduction of priscilla uh, when samantha first meets her the just everything about it is perfect. Down to the high top shoes with the puffy paint. I want them. I want them. I, I read that I had like a need. Um, so thank you for that. I am going to be on eBay looking for these shoes. No, I, you know, I actually was like, maybe for my book launch, I'm going to get like some white high tops and put my name on them, puffy paint, but um, I've run out of time and it won't match my outfit. But um, yeah, I just remember cheerleaders having all sorts of things like that, all their little like bows. And, you know, I find it like so fun. Um, and Priscilla would have like all of that stuff. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Uh, Just you. Yeah. I have kind of just like a question, like it's kind of book related, kind of not. What's the first thing you would do if you found yourself back in 1995? Oh, you know, let me think. I do think, and this is going to sound corny and too close to my book, but it is true. I would go find my grandma and hang out with her because she passed away uh, like seven my gosh, is it seven years ago now? Yeah. So, um, I would probably go hang out with my grandma. That is a beautiful answer. It's so wonderful. So corny, but it's like, no, it makes it, but it makes that you put so much, like it's, you said, you're like, Oh, this is so cheesy from the book, but like it makes you put so much of yourself in this book and you've done so beautifully. And we're so excited. We're just like, everybody should read it. Everybody should option it. We were, we were talking before we were recording. We were like, and this one and this one and this studio. And I was just, you know, I was put in my little thinking I, I work in entertainment so i was putting all my little hats in it too oh okay yeah i mean i cannot talk about things but um hopefully i can soon <laughs> and jess and i were saying just how important this book is for um for kids really and i say kids like that's because i feel old but like middle school and high school and older and how wonderful it will be to have um you know a middle school or older uh person read this and then they will have the the honor and the privilege to revisit this later on in life and mm. to apply all of these lessons and to look back on this 
thing that they read when they were young and see how much they have grown and what understanding looks like to them. And these these kids that are going to read this, these all of these new readers are so very lucky to have this, to have you, to share these stories. And just the fact that this book needs to be accessible, needs to be in the libraries, needs to be out there for everyone. It is wonderful. Thank you for sharing this with us. Thank you so much. Um, That means the world to me. And yes, I would love to envision a world, a future where this book is like so highly regarded that somebody would return to it when they're an adult. Um, That would be a dream. And I also hope that kids get their hands on this book because I do think I do think it could uh, resonate with them and stick with them. I feel like what's wonderful is kids can read this. And again, same. Like, I think we're all in the same generation here um, where kids can read this and be like, yeah, exactly. Somebody gets it. Like, you get so frustrated. But then even reading it as adults, you're just like, oh, yeah, but. Priscilla has a point too. Like you understand where she's coming from and to, to have just it, to, to have the empathy that comes with these conversations and these relationships is just so beautiful. And we appreciate you taking the time to share it with, you know, discuss it with us and share it with everyone. And we can't wait till everybody continues to read and it's out in the world officially um, on April 11th. Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it. I feel the love. Um, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Maureen Goo, just my full name. And um, my website has pretty much everything you need to know about my books and events and any sort of news. So that's at Maureen Goo. Oh, MaureenGoo.com. And you have a bunch of signings and events coming yeah, up this I've, coming week too, right? Yeah, I've got my book launch is in LA on the 12th, and then I'm in New York on the 15th. I am in Chicago on the 25th, and I am at the LA Times Book Festival and um, the Yal- at Yal West. And then I'll be at the Bay Area Book Festival the first week of May. Oh, that's busy. busy. You have like a yeah, busy next wow. couple weeks. Yeah, I spread it all out because I have a kid. Um, so we'll see how I fare. <laughs> <laughs> you will manage it with grace. I just know um, it. I just know it. Thank you so thank much you. for all of your time. Oh my gosh. Thank you guys so much. I had such a blast. Thank you, guys. Thanks. And as Maureen said, please make sure you're checking her out on all her socials and her websites. We'll make sure that we'll have that information in our show notes as well. And also feel free to follow us on Instagram. We're at Akafe Podcast. And we're also both on TikTok, Akafe Laura and Akafe Jessica. Thanks so much for joining for us. And we hope to talk to you all soon. Bye.